Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Episode 38 of The Big Show, and I can't wait. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champs. We're going to dive into Milwaukee's first championship in 50 years. That historic, otherworldly finals performance from Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. We'll see where his finals performance stands all time. We'll get into the Phoenix Suns. We'll get into whether or not the window has officially closed on Chris Paul to be an NBA champion. Whether or not Monty Williams can lead this squad back in the next few years before their window as a team closes on winning a title. Hell, we'll even get into the MLB trade deadline. We're less than 10 days away, and it seems like the Chicago Cubs are selling everyone this year. And then, in my final word to bring things full circle here on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk, we'll get into the upcoming NBA offseason, the implications that this year's finals could have on the offseason, some big market teams on each coast looking to make a splash but the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions, and we need to just sit back and enjoy the absolute history we just witnessed. Look, either way, we were going to witness history in this year's finals. It was either going to be the Bucks with their first championship in 50 years, Giannis Antetokounmpo, back-to-back MVP, not the MVP this season. Of course, Nikola Jokic in Denver took home the honors, but Giannis, the finals MVP, and I'm sure any player in the league would rather win a finals MVP than a regular season MVP, especially one who's got a couple regular season awards under his belt. If you look at what Giannis Antetokounmpo did this postseason, he was nothing short of absolutely remarkable. Don't forget, just six games ago, this man was questionable to even play game one of the NBA Finals. He didn't just play all six games. He dominated all six games. I mean, look, was he perfect? Absolutely not. We know the free throw woes were there for a majority of the series, but when it mattered most, in game six, what did he do? Went to the line 19 times, sunk 17 of those 19 free throw attempts. Uh, I mean, I said it last week, this is a guy who was drawing comparisons to Shaq in the NBA Finals. I mean, he's not a 7-2 center who just bullies everyone out there, but his combination of the position he plays, his size, his speed, his freak, his Greek freak athleticism is what drew those comparisons to Shaquille O'Neal. In fact, Giannis joined Shaq as the only two players in NBA Finals history to average more than 35 points per game on over 60% shooting from the floor. I mean, these are otherworldly numbers. If you look at everything that Giannis did this series in my lifetime, in my 23 years, What he accomplished ranks up there as easily a top three finals performance. Now, mind you, I never got to watch Michael Jordan live. I never got to watch him on TV in person. He was before my time slightly. So when I think the best finals performances of my lifetime, or since I've been watching basketball, figure since I'm seven, eight years old, we'll start with me being eight years old. Dwayne Wade, the 2006 finals, Miami Heat, Dallas Mavericks, D-Wade, and the Heat dug themselves 
in an 0-2 hole. Well, how did Wade respond? Down 0-2, he only had 240 pieces the rest of the way, averaged 35 points per game in that series, rattled off four straight wins, beat the Mavericks, got Alonzo Mourning a ring on his way out, got Shaq another ring before he wrapped things up. I mean, that was an all-time performance from a then-young Dwayne Wade. Look at LeBron James, of course, a guy who's got many rings, a guy who's been to double-digit finals. I'm talking 2016. The by far best comeback in NBA history. Down 3-1, the only time a team down 3-1 has won the finals. LeBron, in the last three games, games 5, game 6, game 7, that Cleveland came back and beat Golden State in all three, dropped 41 in consecutive games, game 5, game 6. He averaged 36 in those final three. On the series, averaged damn near a triple-double, 30 points, 13 rebounds, nine assists. That was an all-time memorable finals performance. What Giannis did this year was nothing short of Dwayne Wade and LeBron's historic performances. I mean, 35 points per game. Again, a guy who was questionable to even play in game one to come out and average 35, had two 40-point performances, and last night in the clincher, a 50-piece. And then how about the way he celebrated? A 50-piece nugget at Chick-fil-A after the game. Look, Giannis and I might not have anything in common outside of this, but we both crushed some Chick-fil-A the night of the NBA Finals Game 6 this year. Look, what he did was remarkable. It was incredible. He couldn't have done it alone. Chris Middleton, who I spent almost the entirety of last week's show talking about, Chris Middleton was incredible this series. Look, they don't win Game 4 without Chris Middleton. They don't win Game 5 in Phoenix Saturday night without Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday. I mean, I loved Malcolm Brogdon. I thought he was a great fit on this team. Drew Holiday was the point guard that the Milwaukee Bucks needed to make the leap from conference finals to not just NBA finals, but NBA champions. Drew Holiday did it all. He didn't score much, but when he did in game five was when his team needed him most, dropping 27 points in game five. Oh, by the way, still had 13 dimes in that one. His defense was remarkable. I mean, Drew Holiday was your true traditional point guard. Everything that Chris Paul has been his whole career was for most of this postseason, wasn't in this NBA Finals. Drew Holiday was. Drew Holiday scored when he needed to, but he distributed. He set up Giannis. He set up Chris Middleton to have the ultimate success this postseason. And he played defense every damn minute he was on the court, every game. I mean, the Bucks don't win it. Without Drew Holiday, they don't win it without Chris Middleton, but it all comes back to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And maybe it's recency bias, but I don't think so. When you stack him up next to Dwayne Wade, next to LeBron James, those two finals performances I just mentioned, his takes the cake. I think for me, more so because of the injuries that he faced all postseason, especially heading into this NBA Finals, I think that's what makes it so magnified, so impressive in my mind. I mean, that LeBron James won 2016, Cleveland coming back from down three to one. They call that the best comeback of all time in the NBA Finals. I call it the best comeback of all time in the NBA Finals. But Milwaukee was down 2-0. I mean, I know 3-1, it had never been done before. It obviously hasn't been done since. Milwaukee was still down 2-0. It is really damn hard, especially in this league, to go down 2-0 and come back and win. Ironically, One guy who's been on the wrong side of that, not once, not twice, 
not three times, but the only player in NBA history to be up 2-0 four times in a postseason series and squander that lead and lose the postseason series, it's Chris Paul. You know, Chris Paul in Game 6 finally played like Chris Paul. And I spent the entirety of last week's monologue when I mentioned Phoenix, when I discussed Chris Paul, saying that for Phoenix to have a chance, for them to come back from losing games three and game four and have a chance at home in game five and the rest of the way, Chris Paul needed to play like Chris Paul and he finally did in game six, but it was too little, too late. It was too little, too late because Chris Paul and Devin Booker didn't put together great performances in sync with each other since game one not even game two where Chris Paul started to dip and Devin Booker of course experienced his rise to prominence on the final stage not even in that game did the two of them do it together game one the only game in this series where they both wowed the audience at the same time Chris Paul did it in game six and Devin Booker who I heard a lot of you tell me after last week's show I was way too hard on him that I needed to be tougher on Chris Paul and I needed to stop giving Chris Middleton all the praise I did that Devin Booker was the star in Game 4. First off, check yourself, Devin Booker was on the losing team in Game 4. And everything I said about Devin Booker not stepping up in Game 4 when his team needed him the most in the fourth quarter, of course, well, he didn't step up in Game 6 at all when his team needed him the most. Devin Booker was a no-show. He had 19 points, shot 8 of 22 from the floor, and wait for it, didn't hit a 3. 0 of 7 from beyond the arc. In fact, this entire series, Devin Booker was absolute garbage from three-point territory. Game 2, the one game where I mentioned Phoenix won without Chris Paul performing. In Game 2, Devin Booker was 7 of 12 from 3. The man was on fire, couldn't be stopped. In the other five games combined, 4 of 29 from three-point range. 4 of 29. You call yourself a shooting guard? You call yourself a shooting guard? You can't shoot! 4 of 29 from beyond the arc. And everyone wants to praise Devin Booker and call him the next Kobe Bryant. Those, Those were the comparisons. They're not my words. They're everyone else's. People were comparing Devin Booker this postseason, his performances, to Kobe Bryant. And that's where you really need to slow your roll. Was Devin Booker on fire at times? Absolutely. But he wasn't consistent. He didn't put the team on his back like Kobe Bryant would routinely and not say two words about it. Devin Booker, when his team needed him most, on two instances, the fourth quarter of game four and the entirety of game six, he was nowhere to be found. He was MIA. And it's only going to be harder for him next season because the Phoenix Suns window at least their window with Chris Paul as their point guard is over it's closed the Phoenix Suns are not going to get back to this stage with this roster it's just not going to happen and Monty Williams who I love who deserves all the credit in the world for being a man that's what he was last night Monty Williams was a man when he walked into that Milwaukee Bucks locker room congratulated them gave a speech in front of the team that just won four straight against him, just knocked his team out of the finals and congratulated them again before making his way out of there. Monty Williams can't take this unit back to the NBA finals. It just can't be done in an uber-stacked, ultra-competitive Western Conference. I mean, look, there was an element of luck to Phoenix getting here. I loved this team. I had spoken about this team for the past seven weeks being a legit finals contender. If Anthony Davis was healthy 
in the first round of the NBA playoffs, Phoenix might not have made it to round two. And that's just the reality. The, the Western Conference is so stacked and there's so much parity. You've got two Los Angeles teams that are annual finals contenders. You've got Denver that always seems to hang around. You've got Utah, the one seed this year that I'm not even talking about yet. Portland, who, again, I don't know if Dame Lillard will still be there next year, but Portland's always a team that can knock anyone off. I mean, up until this year, you had Houston. Uh, the Western Conference is so stacked. I think the Suns had one opportunity, whereas the Bucks will have so many more opportunities, but Phoenix won't. And if Chris Paul wants to have an opportunity to win a, cha- a championship before he retires, it's time for Chris Paul to jump ship. It's time for Chris Paul to call one of his closest friends, LeBron James, and head down to the Lakers. In fact, just yesterday, ESPN's Mark Spears reported that The Lakers were in on two point guards this offseason. Chris Paul, if he should opt out from Phoenix and his ridiculous sum of money that he'd be making if he stayed in Phoenix. Remember, if he stays, he gets over 40 mil next season. So if he opts out, he's ring chasing, make no doubt about it. And you can't blame him at 38 years old. The other point guard, a potential trade with the Washington Wizards to bring Russ Westbrook, the LA native, back to Cali. Now the trade rumored was Dennis Schroeder, Taylor Horton Tucker and Kyle Kuzma, of course, which look, I love Kyle Kuzma. I don't think he fits on this Lakers team. I think he looks so out of place on this team with Anthony Davis, with LeBron James. I just don't see a spot for Kyle Kuzma. I think keeping Brandon Ingram would have been much smarter. I love Brandon Ingram. A couple of years ago on my then radio show, Serralo Sports Talk, I said Brandon Ingram in New Orleans was the perfect marriage. What did he do? He came out one sixth man of the year. Keeping Ingram would have been better and sending Kuzma to New Orleans for this Lakers team. If they make that trade and get Russ, that would be incredible. If they sign Chris Paul, that would be incredible. In fact, the best situation, the best case scenario for the Lakers solely depends on the health of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. If those two stay healthy, Chris Paul is actually the better point guard in that system because he can be what he is, a true point guard. If they get injured like they did this year, Russ Westbrook is the better option for that system because he'll be relied on more to score, to have the ball in his hands more than Chris Paul is accustomed to, more than frankly Chris Paul is comfortable with. I mean, we can sit here and discuss the differences between Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook being the Lakers point guard all day. Either way, they're going to be the favorites next year, not the Phoenix Suns. But the Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. The Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo have made history. Giannis, the third player ever to win an MVP, a defensive player of the year, and a finals MVP joining Michael and Hakeem. Now you can add Giannis to that. Three guys who only need to go by their first name. It tells you the company he's in. When we come back here on Serralo Sports Talk, we're going to do a little baseball before we circle back with hoops. The MLB trade deadline, less than 10 days away. Which NL East teams need to make the biggest splash? Well, stick with us on Serralo Sports Talk and me, Joe Serralo. You'll find out. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo.
We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk, and the MLB trade deadline is less than 10 days away. It seems like two teams in the central division of their respective leagues are absolutely going to be complete sellers. You've got one division, the NL East. Some of you are calling it the NL East. I love it. My Mets are in first place, have been for nearly three consecutive months. So why the hell would I complain? You've got four buyers in that division alone. So let's break it down. The Chicago Cubs, one of those central teams I alluded to seconds ago, that is going to be selling everyone. Chris Bryant, the Cubs superstar, draft pick, homegrown talent. He will not be a Chicago Cub in 10 days time. Chris Bryant, the hottest name, and I'm not just saying that because he's a good looking dude, on the trade market this year in Major League Baseball. I think he's a perfect fit for not one, not two, three teams in the NL East alone. Of course, all the rumors right now, you've got Buster Olney over at ESPN writing about it. The New York Mets and Chris Bryant being the perfect marriage. The Mets have been looking at Chris Bryant for over a year now, going back to early last season, and I don't see it. We got Frankie Lindor. I know Francisco Lindor was not an all-star this year for the first time in five years. I know he's been a shell of himself Unfortunately, he was heating up right before he landed on the injured list. We've got Francisco Lindor, and we've got him for 10 years. The Mets don't need Chris Bryant. I think the Nationals need Chris Bryant with Starling Castro being away due to that domestic abuse allegation. I think the Phillies need Chris Bryant, not for a specific hole, even though he'd probably plug right into third base, his natural position, but because of his versatility, because he can play third, left, even center field. I think the Phillies could use Chris Bryant, frankly, more than the Mets and the Washington Nationals. He's going to end up in the NL East. I just don't think it's with the Mets. You've got another teammate of his on the Cubs that I think the Mets could actually use more in Craig Kimbrell because you can never have enough bullpen health. And some people would argue that Kimbrell's maybe the third most likely Cub to wind up in Flushing Queens because Javier Baez has somehow entered the conversation with Francisco Lindor, Being injured, an oblique injury, of course, could take four, maybe six, maybe even eight weeks to come back from. Javi Baez is not going to be a Met, guys. I'm here to tell you that right now. I'm here to tell you that with 100% certainty, 100% confidence. I don't think the Mets and Cubs are making a trade. If they did, Craig Kimbrell actually makes the most sense. But let's look at where the Cubs can make a deal. And they can send two of the four guys. I know I haven't mentioned one of them yet. I'm still waiting to reveal that fourth name. They can send two to one team, and it would actually be a reunion for both of those members of the Cubbies. Craig Kimbrell, who won a World Series with this team, and Anthony Rizzo, the pending free agent, could both wind up back in Beantown, back in Boston with the Boston Red Sox. Now, I know the Red Sox have one of the best records in baseball. They're atop the American League. Why would the Boston Red Sox need to go all in on what would presumably be an expensive deal for a closer who, if you remember, crapped the bed when he was pitching for Boston in the postseason. And of course, an expensive first baseman in Anthony Rizzo, because even though his contract is done this year, his seven-year, $41 million extension that he signed way back in 2013, it expires this year, he's still not going to be a cheap get because the Cubs are still hovering around 500. They still, in Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, and Anthony Rizzo, have a pretty potent lineup. So Anthony Rizzo won't be that cheap, but he's worth it. In fact, he's needed in Boston 
where Bobby Dalbeck, the Red Sox first baseman, is their worst hitter. By far the weakest link in an otherwise stacked lineup. The first baseman who's hitting 216 with only 10 home runs in Fenway Park. Are you kidding me, Bobby? 10 home runs in that band box of a ballpark? I mean, Anthony Rizzo makes way too much sense in Boston. In fact, more sense than Craig Kimbrell. I just see the two of them as a package being a perfect marriage because Boston, while they're starting pitching, is winning games. Their starting pitchers' ERAs are through the roof. Their bullpen is actually one of the best in baseball. Matt Barnes, the all-star, has been terrific as a closer. Adam Adovino, who I know a lot of Yankee fans couldn't wait to say would suck at Fenway Park, he's been lights out incredible. The Boston bullpen's been terrific. So they don't need Craig Kimbrell, but I think Craig Kimbrell would certainly put them over the edge. In fact, if the Red Sox just wanted to target Anthony Rizzo from Chicago, they could look at that other team in the Central, the AL Central, the Minnesota Twins, who were co-favorites of their division just a few months ago along with the Chicago White Sox. And while the White Sox have lived up to, if not exceeded the billing, the Minnesota Twins have been the most disappointing team in baseball this year. More disappointing than the Nationals, more disappointing than the Cubs and Cardinals, more disappointing than even the Arizona Diamondbacks who have, what, two separate 20-game losing streaks this year? I mean, the Minnesota Twins have been an abysmal abomination. They haven't been in contention since the second week of the MLB season. They're selling Jose Berrios. Jose Berrios is the guy Boston should target because, like I mentioned a minute ago, the one weak spot in this Boston Red Sox roster, the one point that would prevent them from being a legitimate World Series contender, even though it seems like they're a lock for the postseason, it's their starting pitching. When you get to the playoffs, when you get to a condensed five or seven game series, pitching is everything. I know this sounds like a hometown explanation here, but look at my 2015 Mets. They had the worst record of all five NL playoff teams that year, and they won the pennant because they had the best pitching, and they were able to win short series with the dominant pitching staff that's what boston needs that's what they're missing the red sox are missing a dominant starting pitching staff garrett Richards started the year really well not cutting it anymore eduardo perez started the year or martin perez excuse me started the year and eduardo rodriguez i combine their names they've both fallen off the red sox need a starter they need jose berrios from the minnesota twins who will also be selling Nelson Cruz, the 41-year-old DH who can hit dingers in any park you put him in, and Byron Buxton, who while he's not the best name on the market this year, might bring back the most value because he's young, he's got club control, and even though he's struggled with consistency so far throughout his MLB career, he is a five-tool player who has shown flashes of absolute greatness. The Twins and Cubbies, they're straight sellers, but the reason that I'm not going all-in on my Mets to be buyers, even though all signs are pointing towards them being buyers. They've got Jacob deGrom currently on the injured list. Noah Syndergaard and Carlos Carrasco have not thrown a pitch for them all year. The bullpen has been overused, overworked, and frankly exhausted lately. The Mets should be buyers, but they shouldn't. Because Noah Syndergaard and Carlos Carrasco, who haven't thrown a pitch all year, who are both all-star starting pitchers, are coming back. It's not like they're missing the entirety of the season. Have they been delayed? Of course, it seems that every time a pitcher gets injured, he's delayed in returning, but they are coming back. Carlos Carrasco will be back before August 1st. Noah Syndergaard will be back, I guarantee it, before September 1st. 
Even if Noah Syndergaard cannot be a starting pitcher in the postseason, the Mets have enough starting pitching. Don't forget, four-man rotation come the playoffs. Right now, they've already got DeGrom, Taiwan Walker, and Marcus Stroman, three guys who have put up all-star numbers. In fact, two of them were all-stars, and Marcus Stroman, frankly, was a snub. Look what he did yesterday. Eight innings, one hit, no runs against the Cincinnati Reds. Great American ballpark. Every night there in the summer is like the home is like a home run derby. And Marcus Stroman threw eight innings of one hit ball without allowing a run. He is an all-star caliber pitcher. The Mets already have three of them. Carrasco will be back soon. When Noah Syndergaard comes back, he doesn't need to be a starter. He can go right in that bullpen and be dominant for whatever role that they need him in come the postseason. It's the injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. That is why I'm so confident that the Mets don't need to make a move just yet at least. It's Ronald Acuna Jr. being out and the Atlanta Braves, who I deem the biggest threat to the Mets in the NL East, now being essentially out of contention. Without Acuna atop their lineup, without Mike Soroka and his second Achilles injury, In that rotation, the Atlanta Braves are no longer a contender in the NL East. And the Washington Nationals could just as easily be sellers as they are buyers. Max Scherzer might not be a national in 10 days. Now again, they could go out and get Chris Bryant, prove me completely wrong. They still haven't been able to cross 500 this season with consistency. I'm not scared of the Nationals and the the Philadelphia Phillies. The team that is currently in second place, the only other team besides my Mets, that are currently in the National League East above 500, the Philadelphia Phillies, as good as their starting pitching has been all year. Zach Wheeler, the all-star, the guy who last week I said deserved to start the Midsummer Classic with Jacob DeGrom pulling himself out of the game. He's been amazing. Aaron Nola is a great pitcher, has been a Cy Young finalist, has been an all-star. As great as the Philadelphia Phillies starting pitching is, their bullpen is 10 times worse. Hector Neris has to be one of the worst closers in baseball. David Robertson has not been able to stay on the diamonds since signing a huge contract for a setup man with the Philadelphia Phillies. And by the way, in the last decade, they are one of the worst second half teams in Major League Baseball. So no, no matter what they do, even if they got Chris Bryant, I'm not scared of Bryce Harper, JT Realmuto, and the Philadelphia Phillies. I think actually that the Braves without Ronald Acuna Jr. are still more of a threat than the Phillies. It's the Mets division to lose at this point. And I think that our lineup is formidable enough with a guy like J.D. Davis at third base instead of Chris Bryant at third base or Dom Smith in left field instead of Chris Bryant in left field. I think the Mets lineup is good enough. They've been hot as hell since the All-Star break. And I think with two key pitchers coming back shortly, this team can win the division by standing pat or... They can wait until 3.59 p.m. Eastern Time on July 31st to make a deal. And I think that's what they'll do. The Mets have prospects, specifically in the infield, that they can afford to trade away. Ronnie Mauricio is one of the most highly touted shortstop prospects in baseball. And we just signed Francisco Lindor to a 10-year contract. We don't need Ronnie Mauricio. We've got Lindor at short and Jeff McNeil at second for the foreseeable future. You don't want to do what Cleveland did and make Ahmed Rosario a center fielder do that to Mauricio. We've got Brandon Nimmo out there, who is the fourth highest OBP in baseball over the past four years combined. The New York Mets can stand pat, save their best prospects for a time that they might really need them, and not overpay it this year's trade deadline just because it's the sexy thing to do. 
They don't need to do it. They're winning games. Right now, yes, they're treading water. They've been playing about 500 baseball for the past four or five weeks. But when the guys that they lost keep coming back, the way Conforto came back, the way Nimmo came back, the way J.D. Davis came back, when the pitchers start coming back, this is a team that's going to run away with the NL East just the way they are. And just like they did in 2015, because of their pitching, make some noise in the postseason. They don't need the trade deadline. They don't need you, Chicago. They don't need you, Minnesota. If there's one guy I'd like, and maybe I'll dive more into this on next week's episode of Serralo Sports Talk, it's Baltimore Orioles left-handed pitcher, John Means, but for the right price. When we come back, my final word on this week's episode of Serralo Sports Talk, and I'm circling back to the NBA, looking ahead now that the finals are done, to the off-season to come. Stick with me, Joe Serralo, on this week's episode of Serralo Sports Talk. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. It is time for my final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. And as promised, we're going to stop taking a look at the incredible finals that we just witnessed and focus ahead. Look ahead to the NBA offseason and some of these surprising big names that could be jumping ship and landing with new teams. Look, this offseason, for all intensive purposes, was set up to be a rather boring one. Lonzo Ball was supposed to be the biggest, most attractive name of this offseason. And I, as a Knicks fan, wanted nothing to do with him. Lonzo Ball was the talk. The New York Knicks were going to go after him from New Orleans, the restricted free agent, try to bring him to the Big Apple, pair him with Julius Randle. I wanted nothing to do with it. Lonzo Ball? Taking the ball away? Ball hogging from R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle? I'll pass. I'll take Derrick Rose, who had a rejuvenated, incredible season. Derrick Rose, who... I mean, of course, along with the obvious, the league's most improved player, Julius Randle, Derrick Rose was probably the next biggest reason that the Knicks had the success they had this year, getting the four seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't need Lonzo, but there is someone else I need. Damian Lillard, all eyes are on Dame time, out in Portland, disgruntled, unhappy, with the Trailblazers repeatedly making it to the postseason on his back and failing to put a squad around him that can get past the first round in every year, except, of course, that one year that they made it to the conference finals. With the exception of that, it's been disappointment after disappointment in Portland. And I think Dame Lillard has finally had enough. Look, he cannot be crucified for this decision if he demands a trade out. Now, there have been rumors and reports that he has demanded a trade, that he has told them, I want to go to either New York or Philly, make it happen. And he's come out and denied them. Either way, I'm not going to give my false opinion as to what I think he has or hasn't said behind closed doors. Either way, he wouldn't be wrong if he did ask out because he has put that team on his back for years now, the same way Giannis had in Milwaukee. And by the way, if Giannis had demanded out of Milwaukee, look, we all thought he was going to after last year's postseason exit, that premature postseason exit, he unfollowed all of his teammates on Instagram. We thought Giannis was going to demand a trade and he wouldn't have been wrong to do so. Now, he stuck around. 
It paid dividends. It worked out. Maybe Dame seeing Milwaukee have the season, have the success that they just enjoyed. Maybe that'll make him believe in Portland and want to give it another go round. But I hope like hell he wants out and he comes to New York. I think Dame Lillard, of course, not a free agent. It would have to be a trade and it would be a trade that costs the Knicks a lot. But I think he would transcend this franchise. What they did this season was nothing short of absolutely amazing. Going from a lottery pick year after year, more often than not a top five, top six pick to a four seed in the Eastern Conference was incredible. Dame Lillard makes them a conference champion contender. Puts the Knicks up there with Brooklyn, up there with Milwaukee, I think past Philadelphia. That's my honest opinion. Dame Lillard makes the Knicks better than the Sixers because I was never that high on the Sixers. I said whoever won Knicks Hawks was going to beat the Sixers. What did the Hawks do? They beat the Sixers. Dame Lillard is the guy the Knicks need to get. And I would be upset if it costs Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin and more. But the reality is that's probably what it will cost. Emphasize and more. That said, it'll be worth it as long as the Knicks can formulate a big three of Dame Lillard, RJ Barrett, and the big dog, Julius Randle. Look, I already mentioned Chris Paul. I already mentioned Russell Westbrook being potential targets to head to LA. Don't forget now, this will be the second time in Chris Paul's career he's been rumored to the Lakers. The Lakers had a trade set up for Chris Paul years ago when he was still with New Orleans. And he ended up going to the LA Clippers, not the Lakers, because the league blocked that trade. Nothing's going to block it this time around. You have a legitimate chance that Chris Paul joins a an already super team, but makes it an even more super team of LeBron James and Anthony Davis out in the Staples Center. But in that very same arena, you've got a realistic chance that Kawhi Leonard wants out. That Kawhi Leonard, who maybe if he was healthy, would have given the Clippers a chance to knock off Phoenix in the Western Conference Finals. He might be done playing for his hometown team. The team that he couldn't wait to go to after he did his civic duty and won a ring in Toronto. You know, Kawhi never wanted to go to Toronto. San Antonio gave him his wish. He demanded out. They sent him to one of the last places he wanted to go to, and he made the most of it. And he became a hero and a fan favorite, not just for the Raptors, but especially for the Raptors fans, but all across the league. Among all basketball fans, Kawhi Leonard was loved and respected because of what he did in Toronto. Then he got to go home. He got to go to his preferred destination. Hell, he got to bring his guy Paul George with him. And it hasn't worked. In fact, it's been incredibly disappointing so far. They almost made up for last year's disappointment this postseason. But Paul George has not held up his end of the bargain. Paul George has not been the Robin to Kawhi's Batman. Paul George has at times been a weight tied down to Kawhi's ankles. And Kawhi Leonard might want out. But just like how Chris Paul could leave Phoenix and stay in the same division, Kawhi Leonard might be staying in the same division he just might have to go up the coast to the Bay Area. Kawhi Leonard, rumors have formulated that he could be joining the Golden State Warriors if he opts out of his contract with the Clippers. Wouldn't that be some shit? Kawhi Leonard joining Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. I don't even want to talk about, I don't even want to think about Andrew Wiggins, although he'd probably be traded away, or Draymond Green. Let's not even get into that, please. But how about Kawhi? potentially joining the Warriors, joining Stephen Clay, while Chris Paul could potentially be joining 
LeBron and Anthony Davis. I mean, if you thought that the Lakers and Warriors rivalry was intense this year, meeting in a play-in game just to get to the postseason, imagine that rivalry when they are far and away not just the two best teams in the Western Conference, but sorry, Brooklyn. Sorry to the early 2022 Finals favorites, Brooklyn Nets. A Kawhi to Golden State, Chris Paul to Los Angeles offseason would make the Lakers and the Warriors the two best teams in the NBA, not just their own conference. I'm all for it. I'm all for the drama surrounding Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, and Damian Lillard. I mean, the draft is just a week away, and I'll be honest, I'm not even that into it. I think it's a rather weak draft class this year in the NBA. I'm not sold on Cade Cunningham. I'm not sold on Evan Mobley. I think Jalen Suggs is the most sure thing, best player, guarantee, lock it down pick in the draft. I think Baylor has a couple phenomenal options that'll go later than they should. I think Moses Moody out of Arkansas is more of a lock with his athleticism than Cade Cunningham. And that's me truthfully speaking, but I'm not that into the draft. I'm here for the drama. I'm here for three point guards plus Kawhi Leonard, potentially not just leaving their current situations, but going to rival some of them. I can't wait. I'm sure I'll have more about the NBA offseason drama and transactions, and of course more on the MLB drama and transactions in next week's episode. But this week's episode of Sorallo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. The Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo in the history book forever. I'll see you next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.